With the autumn internationals done and dusted, it's time to return our attention to the Gallagher Premiership. Bristol Bears have once again enjoyed a rocky start to the season, and today we welcome someone who has had quite the journey from Premiership to Championship and now back to Premiership. Joining me, assistant editor Ben Jaycock and digital editor Nick Powell, is Bears fullback Rich Lane. Let's get going. We've actually got a new combo of faces. Obviously, Ben Jaycock hasn't been on for a while, but it's good to have you back, Ben. How are you doing? Not bad, thank you, Ollie. Not bad. Good. And Digital Editor Nick Powell, how are you? Yeah, good to be back on. The three of us haven't been on together, which is a little bit weird. I've had you guys on separately, but it's good to it's nice to all be here or be here virtually. And we're with Bristol Bears fullback Rich Lane. How are you, Rich? Very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's good to have you here. Let's talk about Bristol specifically first before we get to you specifically. Obviously, I know you came into the club earlier this year, but Last time we had Jake Walmore on, we spoke about, you know, 10th last year, 10th still this year. Is there a feeling that something's still missing at the moment? Um, it's tough to put a finger on. Obviously, we're all sort of turning up every day and always are working. I mean, I haven't been there that long, but as, as hard as I've ever worked, you know, everyone's training really well. Um, meetings are good. The detail is good. It, it, I guess the overriding feeling is it feels like it's coming. I've been in environments where you feel like you're sort of flogging a dead horse, but this one, it, it sort of truly feels like it's coming and it's almost a matter of time and eventually things are going to click and all the hard work's going to come good. And, you know, the the Bristol that everyone's watched sort of three, four years ago, whatever, when they're finishing top of the Prem, hopefully we can get back to that quickly. And when you say things are starting to click, what do you mean by that? I just think, um, you know, bits of our shape that we work on every week, there's been various injuries, so different combinations here and that. I think lads are starting to come back fit, you know, some big players for us. So hopefully drilling our shape, all those combinations can come good and, and we can start getting on the right side of some results. Do you think when you play in a team that, that looks to play an exciting and attacking brand of rugby, that there's less margin for error when you get it wrong, you know, in terms of if you, if you don't have a brilliant day, the opposition are able to get on top of you because we've obviously seen it happen in other teams as well. Harlequins against Leicester, they were way outplayed, only lost by eight points in the end, but deserved to lose by a lot more. So do you think that's an issue where if you are able to get over the line, results will transform pretty quickly? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Like, you know, obviously we, for sure, we want to play that exciting brand that everyone wants to watch. But we've also spoken a lot about sort of doing whatever it takes and whether that is kicking all the way up to the other team's half or it might be running out from our 22. But we've done that because we feel it's on. We're not just sort of throwing caution to the wind and chucking it. And of course, if you are playing from deep and things like that, the, the you know the chances of errors are probably slightly higher and it does create a more open game which I think as a whole is what everyone wants to watch but yeah you know we work we, we work really hard with Craner this year in our defence and trying to sort of reduce what we're conceding there um, so I don't know if it particularly relates to flinging around but you know it's, it's an area of the game that games are so close these days I think you see it in the Autumn Nations Cup and stuff games are won by so little so for us it's trying to have that balance of doing whatever it takes to win. If we need to kick, if we need to kick. If it's on, we'll run. But ultimately, you know, like everyone, we're trying to win the game um, and every game. So, yeah, I think probably slightly more risk, but also to have that licence to play what's on is, is exactly what us as, you know, myself as a wide back, that's what we want to do. We want to play that sort of brand. So for me, it's only an exciting thing. Uh, it was just announced before we went on air that Bristol have just signed Elliot Stook, obviously a free agent. That's a, that's a great signing. You must be pleased by him. Yeah, obviously, um, very experienced second row, um, great bloke as well. hasn't hasn't been in long, but um, yeah, only adds strength to to what we've already got. So hopefully, a good signing. 
Yeah, the, the training ground and facilities at Bristol look amazing. They rival anyone in the world. Um, it must be pretty special having a state-of-the-art training ground, gym, and I've even seen a cheeky sauna in there as well. Yeah, the sauna gets used a lot, especially this time of year when it's freezing outside. But no, obviously, it's an incredible facility. Um, you know, it's got everything there that we could wish for as players. Uh, so we talk a lot about, you know, all that stuff is high performance. So we've got to turn up and, you know, the playoff of that is we've got to turn up every day and look to get better and produce that high performance. So, um, yeah, I mean, especially coming from the champ, as far as facilities go, it's it's incredible. Do you feel essentially in the shape of your life with the aid of those facilities? I know you were rehabbing a, a foot injury earlier this year, but it must be quite nice to have that level of physiotherapy, the sauna, the gym facilities and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, and and that's what I mean in terms of literally everything is there that you want as a player. There's there's really no excuses for not being in the best shape or, you know, not recovering to the best you can, all that sort of thing. Um, and the, the performance coaches are all over that, whether it's sort of data from you know, meters running or time off feet, all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's really up to us as players to to get the most out of it from there. Just while we're on the subject of signings, I asked Jake Walmore this um, when he was on. I can't actually remember what he said, but it was because there was speculation that Semi Radradra and Charles Piatau might be on the way. Obviously, we know how that turned out. If you could sign one player for Bristol right now, if you were at the helm, who would you sign? Glass on the spot. Um, probably purely from a... I mean, I'm lucky I get to watch Charles Piatel and Semi work every day, but probably from an outside back, probably someone like a, I don't know, a Cheson Colby or something, just because to watch that every day would be would be mental. Like I said, Charles is is a freak with some of the stuff he can do, and um, I think Colby would be exactly the same. So yeah, probably that from an outside back point of view. How much have you learned from Charles coming in? Obviously, he's that kind of X factor player that. I don't know, has that bit of an extra level that you can look forward to working with as a fullback whilst also, I guess, slightly resenting their presence on some <laughs> occasions? <laughs> yeah, no, he's been awesome. You know, we get on really well and um, I'm lucky I sit near in the changing room. So he's he's so open with, you know, if he's not playing or you've got any questions about that 15 role or a specific move, like he'll, he'll give you as much time as you need. And um, I can't speak highly enough of him, like just, you know, just to watch him at training and the amount of ooze or whatever when he steps someone for the 10th time or... You almost don't react now to some of the side steps or whatever, where you know you know are ridiculous. But yeah, in terms of my knowledge, it's it's just how open he is to any question, or you know, if it's five minutes or half an hour, and you want to sit down, he's fully open to that. So it, yeah, it's been class for me. What's discussion about? Obviously, coming into the Christmas period, and then obviously you'll look towards the home straight of the season. Tenth in the table. Where are you looking to finish? Is there a goal in mind at this point? Uh, we we haven't set a, a set goal specifically, but um, you know we we do talk about at the moment we're tenth, but I don't know the exact point, but it, it's less than ten points off top four. So you know, essentially that that's two wins, um, and the season looks completely different. So a bit like we said earlier, it's sort of it's just feeling like we're not far away, and we're, we're just going to try and keep, take every game as it comes, um, week by week. Because obviously you guys know in, in the prem, there's no easy games and. Every week, if you're off it by one, two percent, uh, you'll come out with a loss most likely. So, yeah, for us, it's head down for the next next couple of months and uh, see where we see how far we can take it. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, chip in on on the Challenge Cup, um, which is obviously coming up this weekend. Perpignan and Zebra uh, are your two games before the Premiership restarts. Perpignan second bottom in the top fourteen, and Zebra at the moment are winless in the URC. So. With no disrespect to those two teams, do you see that as an opportunity to really build confidence, confidence and implement what you're trying to achieve, particularly you know in terms of attack? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, any team nowadays, it seems like if you if you don't turn up, they'll turn you over. And um, you know, you can you can look at us and say, yeah, we're tenth, so we might be. It might be a team in France looking at us, going, "Oh, they're tenth in the league. They're an easy game." But you know, that's not the case. So um, for us, we'll, we'll go into it full guns blazing. It's it's another competition, so exciting to sort of freshen up different opposition. Uh, I think we got you know the trip away to France, then Zebra at home before Christmas, and then the the other way after Christmas. Um, so yeah, different opposition, fresh fresh tournament. Hopefully, get off to a good start and, and get off to a good you know be in a good place in that group come the other side of Christmas. Um, and yeah, obviously wins build confidence and momentum so anything we can pick up and, and take back into the Prem would be huge so, so Rich I was wondering I interviewed um John Mallett who's the uh, director of rugby at Millfield for our schools column a, a, um, sorry, a couple of weeks back and he said he, he's worried that the increased media coverage on social media and YouTube for schools rugby is putting unnecessary pressure on younger players just wondering what you think of that as someone who's obviously a former student there yeah, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of John. He was absolute legend. Um, it was, was was brilliant for me at Millfield. Um, I don't know. I think, in a way, I, I think you can see it as a positive. Like when I was at school, we didn't have any of that sort of coverage. You know, there was the odd tweet here and there, but I think you're seeing now you're seeing more and more lads come straight from straight out of school and break into that prem setup. You look at the likes of, I don't know, Orlando Bailey is doing it now. Uh, Diego Bailey for us, Joe Jenkins, young boys at Bristol now. Those two, I think they. As you know, slightly older boy now, it looks like those boys are coming through at 18, bigger, sort of fitter, slightly less phased by everything. And you can chuck them into the deep end and they seem to cope pretty well. So I think in terms of that, Milford used to run it as slightly like an academy. You know, we had good gym sessions, a lot of training. So when we stepped into the, when I went to Bath Academy, the actual training load was slightly less of a shock. So I think, yes, it can put pressure on, but also the way I see it, it can only be a good thing, you know, get good exposure for whether it's interviews or Twitter and learn about all that sort of media side of things. And like I said, they're coming through bigger, faster, sort of some of them freakishly big now straight out of school. So for me, I think that can only be a positive thing. I'm trying to do the maths. When you played ones at Millfield, who else was in your team? Uh, Who was in my team? So when I was in lower sixth, we had the likes of Freddie Clark, who's at Gloucester now, Uh, Henry Thomas, who's, over at Montpellier, I think at the moment. Ben Mosses, who was at Bristol for ages. I'm trying to think the year the year above that was like your Mac of and Apollo's. Yeah, JJ. Um, that, yeah, that was the yeah. team of the year, the mental one. But, <laughs> yeah, um, that's ridiculous. There's been a fair few names. So you we you, you were upper fifth for that year. Uh so I was Oh sorry, upper fifth. Year um oh my year, god. Year, year eleven. 10? Yeah, year eleven, year ten. GCSE year. Okay. Yeah. That for the gun, yeah. No, I was just curious. Um one more question. Well, I'm putting you on the spot again, actually. We've just had the Autumn Internationals. I'm not going to go into the Eddie Jones, the England politics side of things, but rather on a selection standpoint, every time we have an English guest on, I try to remember to ask, sometimes I forget, them to pick their ideal England unit that's relevant to where they play. I phrase that really badly, but essentially, what's your English starting back three? I think at the moment, it's hard to look past Freddie Stewart. Obviously, he's sort of, was it World Team of the Year he was in? You know, big bloke, young guy, he's, he's dominating that position, really. For me, I think you have to squeeze someone like a Max Damalians in there. Classy player, can sort of do everything. He he scored a wonder try against us for Saris a few weeks back. I think, obviously, Jack Noel just seems to be a big leader in that team and the physical presence. Who else am I missing? I think maybe Anthony Watson, he's coming back from a, you know, a real nasty injury. Um, but obviously, everyone knows how good of a player he is. So, for me, probably... 
I've, I've definitely missed people, but probably through those four, I'm sitting on the fence a bit, but they'd be my top four to fit into that back three somehow. And just one of them's a finisher. I'll accept that. Okay, so yeah, we've got we'll finisher, yeah. Stewart at fullback and then pick your two of Watson, Malins and Noel. There you go. Yeah, we'll take that. Sounds good. Good stuff. Right. I want to move on to your journey a little bit, Rich, because you've been around the block a little bit by this point. How many clubs is it now between Prem and Ch- Is it five? Well, if we go on Bath, Jersey, Bedford, Bristol, and then a few, definitely some loans on the on the way through there. Yeah. Cornish Pirates in there as well. Yeah. Two weeks yeah. at the Mighty Pirates. Yeah. <laughs> nice. When was that? That was second year at Bath, I want to say. So yeah. So quite a while ago. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Nice. Well, obviously, yeah, a lot of back and well, one back and forth between Prem and Champ, and then a lot of mixing and matching when you were down in the championship. Well, first of all, for people that don't know, give the chronology of it. You were came through Bath at the age of eighteen. Yeah. What happened after that? So I did. I did four years at Bath in the academy. Obviously, didn't have as much game time as I'd like through, you know, various things. Um, and then decided, kind of halfway through the third year, start of the fourth. I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, I want to be a rugby player, not a rugby trainer, if you like. So sort of mentally and stuff, I was like, I just need to go and play. So I um, spoke to my agent at the time and um, we looked around a little bit and Jersey popped up, spoke to Harvey Biljon at Jersey. Um, and I, we sort of felt like, right, you know, we're going to go over there and get some good game time. It's a different experience. You'll live abroad, so to speak, you know, flying to all the away games, different experience, that kind of thing. So sort of a nothing to lose. Had a good two years there. They, they were mauling a lot obviously with their massive pack at the time um so as a fullback winger didn't see the ball as much as I'd like in the first year um then I had a stress fracture in my ankle in the second year so only played a handful of games um and by that time I just need to get off the island um I don't know you probably speak I don't know what Willie said about it I love my time there but for me it was probably slightly too isolating and back and forth flying and all that kind of thing so yeah uh then Mikey Rare from Bedford rang uh, about two weeks before the season finished and just said, have you ever played 13 for me? Uh, well, sorry, not for me. Have you ever played 13? I was like, oh, I did it at school for a bit. So yeah, that's where my parents are from and I played junior blues there. So I was like, yeah, perfect. Like, you know, there, everyone knows when you speak about Bedford, everyone thinks expansive rugby and that kind of thing. So I was like, brilliant. I moved back in home, moved there, uh, signed a one year, I think. And then from there, as soon as I got there, we had, we had a brilliant group. I think that year we finished third with the likes of Lee Dixon, Will Hooley, Michael LeBourgeois, all those sort of boys that have played obviously higher level. And that was the most fun. That's probably almost to this day, probably the best year of rugby I've ever had in terms of on and off the pitch. Just whatever Mike did that year with recruitment, the, the group was was perfect. And I was like, this is this is what it's all about, type thing. So yeah, that quickly became five years. Uh and then halfway through last year got a call from from Pat whilst I was holding up a fence panel saying we've had a few injuries do you felt like come down and meet us um you know can you come help us out so went down met Pat met Connor the backs coach had a tour around I was like yeah I'll come for a month no problem had that obviously that was a lot of fun got chucked into some games sort of prem debut and stuff um month became two months which became three months and then during that third month uh sat down with Pat and yeah, managed to sign for, for a couple of years. So here we are. Are you sentimental? I five years with Bedford, you're obviously captain, I think player of the year 2020. I also, without wanting to 
touch. So you got to 97 caps, is that right? Yeah, I've actually got that shirt hanging up in this room and it's got a massive 97 on it, which is a really, really ugly number. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather 98 or not? I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd probably rather 97 than 99, to be honest. That's more yeah, tantalising. Um, but yeah, was that sent? did that sentiment make it a difficult decision? Yeah, I think it's funny. It's it's probably not something many people think about, um, you know, 100 games or whatever until you get close. Um and the plan was a month loan or two month loan. And then when we first started speaking about signing for Bristol, in my head, I was like, right, for the last bit of the season, because Bristol weren't in the playoffs, I was like, I'll go back to Bedford. There's five games left. Hopefully I can get the 100 and then pick that off and, and sort of move on. Um, but obviously broke my foot in the game against Sale. So that went out the window. So, yeah, it is something that still doesn't bug me, but I'm like, would it be nice to get those three games, uh, especially for like the hometown club and all that. So, yeah, it's something that's still slightly hanging over me, I'd say, probably. The options there to go back for a last hurrah? Yeah, I said, you know, if I'm, if I'm not playing here, maybe jump on loan back there or what am I now, 29, maybe after the Bristol deal, depending on what happens. Um, it's something I'd love to go back to and, you know, you never know, eh? Yeah, 100%. I mean, whenever I speak to anyone connected to Bedford, they always talk about the the support at Gonton Road being fantastic, and everyone always highlights the Boxing Day fixture, which is obviously coming up. Always gets a big crowd. Can you tell us about your experiences playing in front of such a you know, loyal fan base in the championship? Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. Um, I guess a ground like that, sort of an old ground where there is a grandstand, but a lot of it stood around the boards. When you get two, three, you know, they get five thousand on Boxing Day. It feels like a packed out place, and I think they. Don't know what their average is, but you know, very often it's between two and three thousand, which um, you know, for that league is definitely one of the best, um, if not the best, when there's no uh, prem side, if you like, in there. And it's nice because there isn't really a massive football club in the town at the moment. So, you know, Mike talks a lot about it being the best place to be on a Saturday in the town. You know, you get a lot of support walking around the town, everyone will stop you and chat about the rugby and you know, in the, in the famous marquee afterwards where beer's flowing and, you know, everyone's just chatting, music's going. It's it's one of the only places, well, probably the only place where I've been where it's truly like, a, it feels like old school rugby, if you like. Um, you know, there's no, nowadays, you know, it's, there's not much sort of players to fans sort of mingling and stuff. And it's, it's hard, you know, obviously a lot of the big dogs as well, but that's sort of the only place I've been where no one really cares who's who. You're all just chatting, having a beer together after the game and, and the atmosphere is class. Yeah, with the lack of finances in sort of all areas of rugby right now, do you feel the championship maybe more, more than ever can really act as a, a breeding ground for future premiership signings? Yeah, I think I think it always has to be fair. And, you know, despite, I mean, we could talk for hours about what's happened to it and stuff, but I think despite all that, the way the clubs have adapted, I think you see now, you know, every year there's at least a couple that seem to come up from the champ. You know, some people are surprised when people do well and others are like, well, we've seen that for three, four years. And I think in, unless you've unless you've played in the league or watched it properly, I don't think you appreciate how tough of a league it is um, and just how many good players there actually are in that league. I think it's easy to think, oh, it's not well-funded. It's not the glitz and the glamour of the Prem. Oh, it's a bit of a, it's not a great league. But if you've actually been involved in it, I think you, everyone that has appreciates just how good of a league it is. Yeah, obviously the four of us here know the championship is a great league and, you know, as a paper, we cover it pretty thoroughly. But do you feel TV broadcasters are maybe missing a trick by not showing games? I mean, Sky Sports used to have the rights for a while, but it seems as no one's picked it up since. Yeah, I think I think that's massive in terms of 
I know they do it in France. Is it pretty two or the third league play on a Thursday or a Friday or something like that? And then the top four teams at the weekend. I think there's definitely an area that can be explored there. Um, even on sort of mainstream TV, whether it's, I don't know, Channel 4, whoever picks it up. Just something that people can turn on and see rugby on the TV. Because I think nowadays, you know, if it's on Amazon or BT, there's, you know, if you haven't subscribed to that, you might be missing out on rugby. And I think that would be a really easy way of trying to get the game growing a little bit. And people nearby might, but oh, I'll pop down. It's only, I don't know, 10 minutes down the road, my local club. And I think at the moment, where rugby is, anything that can get more people involved and engage in it is only a good thing. I actually um, went down to London Scottish versus Bedford in the Championship Cup to cover a game. And there was a full coach load of Bedford fans that were picked up Friday night. Uh, I just couldn't believe how much support they had. Um, and I was just going to ask, really, we're kind of going to cover this later anyway. Um, and we cover it pretty much in every single podcast. But from a Bedford point of view specifically, that was a club that used to play in the Premiership, got relegated. And because they kind of missed out on ownership of shares in the league, didn't have enough money to build back into that, um, in, into the Premiership. Do you think... The, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the amount of professional clubs there are, and obviously two have sadly fallen away in recent months. But do you actually think that rugby, if it shared the spoils a little bit better, there actually could be more uh, more professional clubs than there are now, fully fully professional and and competing to be in the top division? Yeah, for sure. I think you know, I think at the moment you look at how clubs in the champ have had to adapt. So you know, for example, Bedford before COVID. Uh, obviously the funding was still there. Everyone was near enough full time. Land didn't work other than that, other than, you know, a bit of coaching here and there, whatever. COVID hit, all the furlough, all that sort of stuff. And they had to reevaluate how that looked as a model. Um, they spoke to the players quite a lot, sort of the leadership, whatever you want to call it. And it got to the point where everyone had sort of picked up work during furlough because uh, it went on for so long in the champ that it got to the point where, the club couldn't afford to employ boys full time because lads now had good proper you know wages coming in, um, and boys weren't prepared to give that up for a pay cut to play full time. And then I think Bedford realised, well, hang on, we can get the same squad if not better. A bit like the Nat One model, where you know we Bedford went to Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night training, and lads will have full time jobs. So suddenly, boys are like, oh, I can actually. Um, two incomes, two good incomes, and still live the dream in terms of doing that professional rugby. And I guess you could say for a club like Bedford, why would they why would they move back to a full-time model where they'll put themselves in a position where they're losing money? You know, and as you said, with the clubs that have gone gone bust this year, I think they're probably at a place now where at the moment, again, I don't know their financials, but they're, I think they're at least breaking even. So I think... For it to happen, yes, I think it'd be a great idea. And, you know, I know there's there's been chat about two leagues of 10 or, you know, whatever whatever it is. Um, and I think that would be good. And I don't think there's any reason why not, but it would have to be a proper sit down and there'd have to be, I don't know, incentives or some sort of funding because why would and why should clubs put themselves at risk of just going bust just because if an owner, if the guy funding Bedford or whatever decides I don't want to do it anymore, this club's losing money, then the whole club and everyone's history and, you know, 1886 Bedford is just all goes away because we're chasing something. So I I don't know how that looks, but there has to be a come together of ruling this together. We're all trying to go the game. We all want clubs to be making money and be successful and 
and show a good product, but it can't just be like, we're doing this, so you guys have to do this. You know, it has to be meet in the middle and, and work with everyone's best interests at heart, I think. That's really interesting. Really interesting. But do you believe in, we've had so many debates on this podcast, some of them quite heated. Call back to the Mark Evans episode, if anyone remembers that. That was very, very heated. But do you yeah, believe in the... spicy, yeah. It was spicy. The, um, <laughs> the closed system, a closed system or an open system or closed league, open league. Do you still believe in the promotion relegation side of things? I do. I mean, ultimately, I feel like if if the champ was more, it was more of a professional league. I think at the moment you had, or you had... If you drop down to the champ, oh no, it's it's a village league. We're probably going to walk the league. It's just a annoying year almost to like reset and go again. I think if it was like we said, I don't, again, I don't know how that looks. If it's two teams of ten or whatever, but you had to make sure that, that people met the criteria, whether it's ground, you know, whatever it is, all this different criteria. If that drop became oh, we're actually not going to bounce back up here. We've got to keep our squad together. It's a serious year. You know, it gets still on TV, still lots of fans. Then I think that becomes a really exciting thing that you have to have. I think, like we said, it was almost not a broken system, but it just doesn't work where one team drops down and can almost play, not a reserve team, but could almost just guarantee that they'll come straight back up which sort of takes away the excitement. I guess if if a team like, I don't know, whoever in the Prem came down, and like I just said, if if they're like, we generally have to take this seriously, this is going to be a tough old league, we've got to keep as many players as we can, then suddenly it just becomes way more exciting. You know, the teams at the bottom half of the Prem and top half of the Champ are all playing for stuff, and whether that's a playoff or, I don't know, however that looks, I think it's something that absolutely has to reopen or... You know, but when it reopens, like I said, it has to look different in terms of how easy it is to come back up, if you like. Does it change the way a player operates as well? And obviously, you're a great person to ask this question because when you were with Bedford, you had both sides of the coin. You had seasons where you were fighting for promotion and seasons where you weren't. Does it make that difference in terms of giving that extra little incentive? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, if you're in the champ, I think... Well, I can't speak for everyone, but I imagine a lot of players' dreams are to be in the Prem, whether that's with the club they're with or get signed and, and come up. And I think if you look at, I think if you look at, yeah, it probably has become boring, if you like, where you look at Ealing last year, that they did really well, great squad, finally win the Prem, uh, sorry, win the champ. And then it just fizzles out and nothing. It's just like, oh, well done, you won the champ. Go again next year. Um, and I think if you look at, if you're near the bottom of the Prem, it's almost like, okay, well, we can't go down. This isn't going to be our best year. We're not going to make top four. So we've now got time. We can relax and look at recruitment and make sure next year we're way back up. Um, I think Leicester did it. They Did they go from last and then they won the Prem the year after or something? Whereas if I think if you're near the bottom of the table, I think that excitement that brings people to watch and the fact that you're in a dogfight and, you know, that's, that's everything rugby should be. And you see it in football, you know, it's, we talk about the relegation zone all season and that's what ultimately, even if Man City run away with the league, people start watching that sort of bottom six fighting it out to stay up. And I think if we, yeah, if we can get to that, it keeps the excitement all year round and TV games, all that sort of stuff, crowd numbers. Again, I think that would be a boost for, for fan numbers and everything all year round. Yeah, that's such a good point about the um, attendance has actually been better when teams are in a relegation dogfight because they feel like their players have to play for them more week in, week out. And like, you know, a good example of that is actually 
if you look at Harlequins in the early part of the 21st century, their attendances actually went up as they got into 2005 and were actually under pressure of being relegated. And and you look at the game where they did eventually get relegated and it's a complete full house. And now you look at teams in the lower lower end of the premiership and perhaps they do have that sense of, well, the team's not quite there yet, but we might as well go along in a couple of years when they're better. Because you look at the way Leicester's attendances have picked up since they've got out of, you know, the, the bottom end of the table and, and now start to move up the table. And yeah, I mean, there's no comparison really. Yeah, and I, th- I think you try and think about it if you were a fan supporting your team and it's like, I don't know, like obviously you'd like to think you still go regardless, but it might be the difference between you going, oh, it's, it's not really been their year, I might buy a season ticket next year, or as just as you said, like, oh, actually, we're playing whoever this week. This is a huge game because, like, we could go down if we lose. You want to see the boys. That's when you see, like, the really tense games where, I don't know, it's like, 10-9 or something but it's also nervy and like you said packed out and then the boys that stay up are celebrating like they've won the World Cup and it's that whole buzz and atmosphere you know around the place and I think at the moment you you lose that by by not having the, the fear of the drop if you like. No that's all really really fascinating stuff I want to just while we've got you here Rich actually ask about the foot injury that you had because I think I'm right in saying that you played something like 30-35 minutes with a broken, was it metatarsal? Yeah, it was my third metatarsal, I think it was. As in the third time you've done it? No, sorry, as in like the third bone Oh, off. right. Oh, okay. Okay. And you just thought, right, I've got a job to do. Yeah, I'll suck it up for the rest of the half. Yeah, so it was, um, it was my European debut, obviously, as the Champions Cup quarters, I think, or last 16 or so, against uh, Sale. And it was probably in the fifth or sixth minute. I remember um, Moss was making an attack on the wing and their winger, I've come as 15 and their winger's like stretched and just planted his foot and it's gone straight on top of mine. And instantly, like you get that quite a lot, people standing on your toe, but it was throbbing like underneath and I thought I'd broken my boot. So I remember looking down and thinking, has my stud come out or something? And I was like, that feels really weird. And I remember Charles was like warming up behind the post as all the subs do. And he's like, you're right. I was like, I think I've broken my foot. I remember the physios coming on and being like, everything all right and obviously you know massive game European debut I was like there's no way I'm coming off after five or ten minutes or whatever so yeah they sort of came on checked it briefly um and just sort of hobbled around for the rest of the half and it's one of them where I stopped at half time and we ultrasounded it straight away and they're like yeah it's broken as soon as I stopped went down it again it's swollen up and I couldn't move so it's one of them where I think you are almost best to just keep going um but luckily we had Charles on the bench could come on second half, um, which is one of the best replacements you can probably have. So, um, but yeah, I was like, there's no way I can, I can come off after five minutes here. With the adrenaline of, you know, like you say, European debut, et cetera, were you still catching running at full speed? Did you feel like? Uh, probably not. I was, I was not hiding, but I was like, you know, when you're just trying to get through it, um, yeah. luckily it was my right foot and I'm left footed. So I think I yeah. had to kick once or twice, which was fine. But yeah, like you said, when the adrenaline's running and you're just trying to get on with that, I was almost looking at the clock every stoppage to be like, all right, 10 minutes to go, you'll be fine. So yeah, once you said, like, like as soon as you stop, you, you've got no chance, basically. Yeah, well, I guess being at fullback as well, there are probably those nice moments of relief where as well, you don't need to get quite so involved and you're not necessarily completely in the thick of it. No, I've, yeah, um... I watched it back and you can see like when there's a line out, I'm literally just doing like little trots side to side. Really, just, just to keep moving. Yeah, but... yeah. So 
the... That's a, bit of, that's a bit of champ grit there for you. I know, I was going to say, that doesn't sound like Prem Physio recommendation. <laughs> yeah, it's years of like, you know, you're one physio and no... <laughs> yeah, jog it off, up. lad. Exactly. Yeah, and, and not having, not always having Charles Curtin on the bench to come and replace you. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> only, uh, only sometimes. Only sometimes in the championship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've mentioned Jake Warmore already, and, you know, he's interesting for two reasons. Well, he's interesting for several reasons, but particularly interesting for two reasons. One, that he's the other Bristol player that we've had on the pod. And two, he was also with Jersey Reds, I believe, when you were there. Yeah, we had a one-year crossover. You overlapped for one year. He didn't actually speak to us about the isolation side of things. So I'd love for you to go into that just a little bit, because obviously, yeah, being quite secluded on that island, I'd imagine, does get to you a little bit um and also the away fixtures you know maybe more difficult for you well they are more difficult for you guys than they are um elsewhere but also in terms of making the jump back to the prem with bath not necessarily going the way you wanted it to i'd imagine you were probably slightly apprehensive about the jump back and how having a guy like jake who's been back at bristol for a couple of years already and you know is is doing as well as he is how that helps to settle that apprehension yeah i think he was actually probably the first guy I messaged when I knew I was coming on loan because um, like you said I knew him and uh, Jake Armstrong at the time who was who was um, at Jersey as well were both there um, and I, I was lucky I knew a few lads in terms of like Max Laheef and um, uh, Callum Sheedy I had uh, six months of him when he was at Jersey so you knew a few boys and Tom Whiteley was a Milford boy so luckily you know spoke to Jake first of all first of all when I came in that first day he sort of welcomed me pretty much and made me feel at home straight away but yeah in terms of the isolating stuff at Jersey it was it's, it was more sort of obviously winter's not great anywhere right but you know it was just how often flights can be cancelled with fog or you know whatever yeah. and it was little things where I had a lot of friends in London at the time who might be like oh we're we're having this reunion this weekend or we're going out this weekend do you fancy it and I'm like oh, if I was if I was living and playing in England like you know for example Bedford's half an hour on the train to London sounds silly but you could play the game jump on a train be in London and have best of both worlds and you know we're trying to book flights and pay for flights to come back and all that sort of stuff and my girlfriend was living over in England um I just felt like I was missing a lot of stuff and I guess being in it doesn't help because I had a time where I don't think I left the island for sort of five months because I wasn't on the away trips um so that all adds up to it you know like that yeah one thing Jersey does have is you're always a tight group and you know, you rely on like socials and a lot of, you spend a hell of a lot of time with each other sort of living and training and not leaving the island. So there's a lot of, do you want to grab a coffee or go for dinner or whatever it is? Um, so that is also something that massively gets you through. Um, and don't get me wrong, this is not me saying Jersey's a terrible place. Like it's probably the best place I've ever been in summer, you know, pre-season's insane, like boys are finishing down to the beach, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I just felt for me after two years, I was like, I need to, need to get back onto the mainland and, and drive a car faster than 40 miles an hour. And I guess because I was early 20s there, I, I felt like I was probably missing out on on stuff back here. So grateful for that. And it was a, it was a great experience to, in, in terms of living away and all that side of things. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely very good to get back on, on the mainland. Top speed limit in Jersey is 40 miles an hour. Yeah. Did, oh God, that would really test my patience. <laughs> Just lastly, in terms of the mental side of things having come back from Bath in what ways do you feel better equipped individually with the Prem obviously it's nearly a, it's over a decade since you made your first premiership appearance right how do you feel like you're in a better place to 
cope now obviously you are coping very very well now but what do you think has facilitated that I think obviously first I'm that many years older um so you, I think you look at things differently and for me it was it was such a hard place to leave Bedford and I felt in such a good place with my rugby and life balance in terms of work outside and everything I, I've kind of come at it well especially when I was on on loan of I've got nothing to lose and like I say it was like Prem debut in my second week of being there I think and then European debut then we played at Tottenham Hotspur in, in front of 50 odd thousand against Saris and for me it was like why a bit more perspective probably and just think right I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is if it lasts a month or now it's you know two years um you know not trying to get too bogged down with it all and having stuff away from rugby I think is massive because you you absolutely need to switch off and you know especially the Prem it's such an intense environment every week you need to try and not get caught up in it as much and those few hours in the evening or you know days off or whatever are massive for trying to refresh and go again but yeah I think just I'd say overall perspective and looking at how far I've come almost to be like actually don't be too nervous about this this is what you've you've been aiming for or dreaming of for 10, 11 years or, you know, whatever we've been trying to get back to. So just enjoy it because it can go quickly. And I think if you don't enjoy it when you're in the moment, you sort of look back and be like, oh, that that was actually class, but I probably got caught up in it and I was too stressed and didn't enjoy it for what it was. So, yeah, I think that comes with age. But, yeah, I'd say just general perspective on life helps massively. And obviously, if you don't enjoy it in the moment, there's no going back, is there? You can't, you know, you can say, I wish I was back there or whatever, but you could also just say, well, I'm here now. Exactly. And I've, I've spoken to my parents about it before. And, you know, my dad always says, you've got your whole life to work. So once you're out, you're out. So, you know, I've I've had frank conversations with them and, you know, about retiring and is it worth it? And, you know, it's almost like, well, you know, look after stuff, life after rugby, which... I've had the luxury of doing through COVID and stuff, but whilst you're in it, just enjoy it. And like I said, it goes quickly. So ultimately it's what the the little kid of you dreamt of doing. So you may as well live it, right? 100%. We'll get to, it seems like you are laying the foundations for that whole life of work in a way or two. We'll get to that towards the end of the podcast. In the meantime, I've just got two questions regarding the current financial situation in the premiership. Bristol Bears are in a decent amount of debt as well that's quite well documented when you as a player are seeing the likes of wasps and worcester go into administration and other players you know your jack willis's your duhan van der Merves, etc having to sort of panic stations jump ship as well as watching the demise of their own club how would you keep your head down and just focus on the rugby on the pitch um i think you know it, it's tough in the sense of a lot of boys in all the squads will all know those guys will personally or they'll be good friends or whatever and obviously you see and hear the tough times they're going through um i think for us as players you know we're incredibly fortunate to have the support of, of steve lansdowne and you know we feel like again i don't know anything about the financials of it but you know it feels like it's in a good place and essentially we're we're paid to play so that's it's a pretty boring answer but that's all you can focus on really um you know, like we said, the Prem games and European games come, they don't stop, they're there every week. So, you know, we, it's not something you can sit around and, and worry about. You know, the guys at Bristol are, you know, doing an incredible job on and off the field and, you know, trying to grow the club. Um, so, yeah, as players, we can literally be responsible for ourselves, turn up, play every week and try and push the team as high up the league as we can. 
Uh, yeah, I interviewed plenty of um, young Wasp players a couple of months back and there was always a feeling of it'll be fine. We've been told everything will be okay. Don't worry. And for it to then come out, it really must have hit them, you know, really, really hard. Um, having that clarity and communication at clubs across the board is surely vital, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that that can go as far as anywhere, you know, where um, in the news recently about players having a vote on what the league looks like or, you know, whatever. Um, and I think it's massively important through the RPA or whatever that the players do have a voice in that. Um, and like you said, yes, you know, we'll be updated as players when we need to be, like if something's gone wrong or if, if I don't know, they've, they've sold record season tickets or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll, be in, we'll be informed as far as we need to be. But like I said, it's just... Like I said, it's boring, but we're paid to play rugby. So we've just got to keep turning up and doing that and, and enjoying it. And, you know, if anything else happens, then I'm sure we'll be told as and when things like that come about. Little pause on slightly more formal proceedings into the informal section of the podcast. Rich Lane, it's time for your Random Rugby 15. 15 quick fire questions. Shall we get going? Let's do it, yeah. Nickname. One that's caught on this year at Bristol is Lane Train. Don't ask. But... When you run, you're quick. Yeah, does it rhyme? I don't really know, but just you know, we'll roll with it. Mm, it's not the best chat we've had. <laughs> <laughs> who came? Who came up with it? Name and shame. Sheedy pushed it very hard. Okay. He walks around going lane train choo choo, and just sort of really adds to it. Um, and it's just it's one of them ones that's stuck. And yeah, but other than that, nothing very very inventive at all. Best rugby memory? Probably does it have to be on field? I suppose it does, doesn't it? No, I wouldn't say so. My best rugby memory in that case was our Bedford Blues trip to Bruges mid-season uh, for team bonding. I think we came off the back of a pretty good start. Um, Dunkirk film had just come out, so we went over to pay our respects and all that sort of stuff and ended up having vodka jelly shots near the beach and it became three days of pretty boozy, um, great memories. And then if you want a rugby one on the pitch, probably... Recently, the playing at Tottenham in front of that many people against uh, fully stacked Saris was especially coming from, I think, three three weeks earlier, I'd I'd been at Nottingham away or something. It was all pretty surreal. And, and that stadium, I don't know if you boys have been, but it is mental. No, I haven't been. Guys, have you been? Not yet. Not yet. No, in the works, in the works. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I say not yet as if I'm going to be sent to a porn again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a pipe dream, to be honest. Long in the works. Got more chance of playing now, I reckon. Most, <laughs> most embarrassing rugby memory. This one I actually get reminded of a lot when I see my mate Ed Colson, but we were playing London Irish at the Majeski when they were in the champ. And um, our 10 was injured or something. So I was kicking to touch. And we're on, our, we're on their 22. I think we're ahead or we're close at this point. I've missed touch, which is class in itself. Then they've had a 22 dropout. And I think it was Stephen Myler at the time has absolutely nailed a drop kick like over my head, dribbled all the way down to our try line. I've ran back, turned to pick it up and I've absolutely shanked it off of my shin. It's gone about five metres forward and 30 yards to my right straight into, um, what was it, Tom Stevenson's hand there, 13, who's literally caught it and just trotted five metres and put it down for a try. And he, they never let me live that down. I think I let out a big, like, frustrated scream at that point. But that was one of them ones where you just like, oh, This sounds like one of those ones that, you know, those horror compilation videos. And that, there's, a, there's a good James O'Connor one that he massively scuffs. I think Nick Cummins one as well. 
Is that appeared in any of those videos of worst kicks of all time, that sort of thing? It probably has, but I've tried to blank it from my memory. <laughs> I'll do a po- bit of post-podcast research, and maybe if if there is, we'll include a little hyperlink in the article. How does that sound, Nick? <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Pre-game tune? Um, I'm not really... We don't really have many. Anything like dance music where you can almost like two-step and just enjoy. I'm not really a massive... I'm not hugely into getting hugely revved up, so... Yeah, anything like dance related, probably just to enjoy yourself. Just get the the blood flowing rather than pumping. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Post game meal. Probably dodge the food at the ground after the game, but then I have been known to just, if like we said earlier, if you just happen to drive into a McDonald's drive through, then you know it is what it is. Best player you played against? Oh, I don't know on the spot. Probably. I played, obviously played against Manu Tulangi in that sale game. Luckily, I only had to try and tackle him once, but that was enough for me to be well aware of how difficult that is. So, um, yeah, he, he would have to be up there. How did the tackle go? One from one? Well, luckily, as I was tackling, a ref blew his whistle, so I was sort of holding on to one of his boots, just getting dragged along. <laughs> so I think okay. that's a success. Yeah, one from one, 100%. <laughs> Best player you've played with? It would have to be probably Charles or Semi, obviously Bristol bias, but like we said many a time, those two are absolute freaks. So they just make life very easy for you when you're playing with them. Favourite player right now? We said it already. I've already mentioned it, but Cheson Colby probably, just for how easy he steps people. It's You feel sorry for them, but you just have to chuckle when he does it because he makes it look so easy. Rugby idol? Growing up, it's very cliche, but it was always Johnny Wilkinson. And probably a Jason Robinson as well, just for my position. Um, again, he was sort of lighting it up as I was growing up watching. So, yeah, probably those two. How are your drop goals? Uh, very hit and miss. Okay. Um, have you hit in a match before? Uh, I actually don't think I have, you know. Other than sevens, I don't think I've ever done it in 15. <laughs> and sevens, I'm guessing, was a convert- conversion after the try. Yeah, they don't count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Favourite stadium? Don't say Tottenham. <laughs> Shall I say Goldenton Road? Yeah. Stanford Blues on the slope at Boxing Day. No better place. Favourite gym exercise? I struggle with the gym. Um, Probably, (laughs) I don't know, bench press, probably the most standard one, just because you get to lie down. Yeah, nice. Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Um, I'd have to say landscape gardener, probably. Yeah, nice. Well, like I said, we'll get onto that later. Um, Spoiler alert. Superstitions. Uh, I actually don't have any. I try and stay away from that because then I feel like if you don't do it once, you're just worrying with yourself. So quite boring, but I don't have any. No, I think that's good. Rugby law you would change. I was actually, t- I can't take credit for this. I was chatting to Kev Geary, our head AP performance coach, randomly the other day over a coffee. And we were saying, I don't know if you, well, what you boys would think, but you know when there's been a high tackle and it's like blow up, foul play, whatever, and nine times out of ten it's at least a yellow car but they're just discussing whether it's a red or not we were like what about if you if you pretty much know it's going to be at least a yellow give him a yellow straight away the guy goes off over the next five minutes or whatever the TMO is watching that tackle if that has to be upgraded to a red fine that happens if it doesn't well you've already you're already five minutes into your sim bin so you just do the other five the game's carried on we did one the other day against South Africa I know the angles weren't great but I think we spent about eight, nine minutes watching the big screen. And it's just like, again, anything that helps grow the game and make it more exciting, if we can quicken it up, I feel like that could potentially be a good little tweak. 
the I can't remember who you said you'd have coffee. Would they put it forward to you? And you were like, oh, that's quite a good idea. Yeah, I remember it was after that South Africa game and it was uh, Kev Geary, our head AP, Jim, well, he hates being called gym coach, but athletic performance. We were just talking about that and that was something he sort of mentioned. I was like, actually, that's that's a hell of an idea. I think that could be quite good. I guess the only swipe, slight qualm I'd have about that is it's always quite nice seeing a player get red carded. And <laughs> yeah, you've you just could, got to make sure that that's still a bit of a moment, you know. You could call them back to the touchline. You could run over <laughs> and give them <laughs> Make them get their steps in just to send them back. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, nice. No, that sounds like a good, um, a good alternative. And lastly, best thing about working in rugby? Probably that you don't have to have a gym membership because you get paid to keep fit. And I I probably wouldn't go to the gym if I finish rugby. Um, and then the cliche one of you do literally just get to spend every day of your mates just being Muppets um, around training and whatever. So I can't be in many other places where, where you get to do that all day, every day. Good little answer. Um, I'm guessing you're hoping your physio doesn't listen or strength and conditioning coach doesn't listen to that first little snippet. Or do they know? They know that you... They know, yeah. Well... Yeah. I, I, the only thing he'd be annoyed is I called him a gym coach once and he didn't. He was not impressed with that. So, what's the official title? S and C. Athletic performance, they call it. Oh wow! Oh yeah, sorry, you did say. Okay, <laughs> so S. He wouldn't like the fact I called him S and C either. I think S and C's alright, but I think I just made it literally a gym coach. I think yeah, years of degrees and studying probably did undermines it. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, the the initial qualification for gym coach, having done it, doesn't take much. Let's put it like that. <laughs> right, let's move on. Thank you for doing that. 15 questions wrapped up. Let's talk about, well, we've touched on it a couple of times already, landscape gardening. Um, I'm about to have a baptism of in terms of a learning experience. Yeah, you're already rubbing your hands together. So I guess my first question with it is part of it, I'm guessing, is due to the fact that you spent a few years in the championship where there is the time, probably the need to think about you know career paths outside of rugby just because there's not quite as much financial security. Um, first of all, am I right in saying that? Yeah, 100%. It's definitely something boys look at. Well, not saying a lot more than Prem, but like you said, there is a there is a massive need to find different sources of income for sure. And I, yeah, again, I remember Jake Walmore. He's a qualified mental health first aid officer. He's got his gin business, which he's probably plugged a million times in Bristol Bears camp, no doubt. Yeah, Xvegins. Um, we've heard all about it. Yeah, exactly. Xvegins. We actually asked him to name all fifteen ingredients, and he couldn't do it. So, <laughs> broad. <laughs> what else? So, landscape gardening. Anything else you've got in the works as well? We'll obviously get to the gardening. I'm just curious how many different tools in your arsenal we're looking at. No, yeah, not massive. We obviously own a house in Bedford, so that that's rents out. I'd I'd love to get into property, sort of however that looks long term, whether it's that's alongside gardening or what. Um, but yeah, that for me is my main focus at the moment, away from rugby, the gardening side of things. So tell me about it then. Well, basically, obviously COVID hit. Um, the champ didn't start for nearly a year, I think it was. Whereas I know the prem started a lot quicker, and I think essentially we were like, look, we without any crowds we don't have tv income we can't there's literally no way we can pay players so we were all on furlough for nearly a year i think it was um doing like optional training con games fitness games whatever it was um and you know i can't sit still at the best of times so i was like i'm very quickly realized after about two or three weeks that i was gonna get very bored just doing my daily activity or whatever and that sort of thing so luckily the Bedford blues groundsman Chris Ashworth was, well, he is a landscape gardener um, and I'd always gotten well with him anyway. So sort of a few weeks in, sat down with him at the club after like a running session or whatever and was just asking about, you know, 
how he got into it, qualifications, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then a week later, he dropped me a message. was like, oh, I've got a big job because uh, they outdoor, working outdoors, they could work all the way through COVID. Do you fancy just coming to give us a hand? I was like, yeah, sure. No worries. Anything to get me out of the house. Um, did that for a couple of weeks. And I was like, actually, this is class. You know, as I said, I can't, I'm not very good at sitting still. I couldn't, I don't think I could sit at a desk for very long. Um, and the first lockdown, the weather was a mental heat wave. So we all sort of tops off working on the tan. So yeah, I kept that going with him. And after about six months, I was like, oh, this is something I could see myself doing for myself long-term. So set up um, company, became a sole trader or whatever, um, and started to work alongside Chris. And then it became... You know, we started getting to a place where I'd go to quotes with him and he'd teach me sort of the admin side of everything. And then, you know, as being captain of Bedford, my parents lived there. It's a small town. You know, quickly I was able to get people asking for quotes themselves and stuff through me. So, yeah, we took on more and more. And then it was actually going really well. And then obviously the Bristol stuff came in and you suddenly jumped back into full-time rugby. But it was, it was probably the first time, unless you're like a... Dan Carter, you can take a sabbatical. I don't think you'd ever get in a rugby career six, seven months of no rugby to actually be like, right, I've always joked about being fine after rugby, but what actually am I going to do? Because, you know, it's well documented. No one earns much in the champ. And if the age of 30, 35, you're lucky, you know, you've got a long time left, hopefully, to, to have to earn money from. So, yeah, it was, I feel guilty saying it was, it was a really good thing to come out of COVID because obviously it was such a, tough time for everyone but it was it was a unique time and a, a time where it was almost it was a forced hand all, all the lads at Bedford and across the champ had to get jobs and you go and speak to any of them now they're all in actual general careers they'd love to explore after rugby rather than just sort of shift work here and there um, so yeah just off the back of that trying to obviously now at Bristol it's very much full time here so it's pretty much sort of manual labour and prem rugby don't really go hand in hand in terms of you've got to look after your body and stuff. Um, but I'm doing various courses in gardener design and online stuff that I can try and do in days off to essentially try and make sure that I'm in a good position when it all does finish um, to see, hopefully, seamlessly transition into um, the life after rugby. And it's something now that I'm actually excited about and I'm not, I'm not scared of when rugby ends because uh, I've seen that side of it I actually really enjoyed the real world, so to speak. Um, and it's something I'd be excited to take the next step into whenever that does come. And it's called, maybe you said, it's called Lane and Acre. Is that Lane correct? And Acre, yeah. yeah is, a, is Acre a person or just like acres of land? The ongoing joke was Matt Worley, who is at Bedford, plays for Hong Kong, was always Acre. But it, unfortunately for him, he actually isn't. Um, it's just a made up name. We just thought, like you said, it, the double barrel thing sounds quite nice and acres yeah. a big garden I'll hopefully get some big clients <laughs> that chat's almost as good as lane train yeah. <laughs> um so you've spoken about yeah the manual labor side of things and rugby don't necessarily i mean they could be your gym sessions but i guess uh, yeah there's not necessarily that specificity sorry, that rugby sorry, requires Pat, nowadays. I'm being at midday i'm just laying a patio this morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um but those courses they I guess, are they the product of a long-term desire to go into gardening? Because the way you said it, it was almost as if it was a pandemic. You were sat around, you know, thinking, okay, what can I do with this to, one, keep myself occupied, but two, obviously pay the bills. Is the gardening, you know, interest, does it go further back than that? I think, I mean, probably as far as I, I used to cut the grass for mum and dad at the weekends because I just enjoyed it and it was something to do. Um, 
but yeah, again, it was something like I'd, I'd always said I'd be fine after rugby, but I never had, I've, I'd never had a burning desire of I'm going to do that. I'm going in that direction. I know what I want to do. I need to get my qualifications, um, et cetera. It was literally something that's come to me and I've gone, I really enjoy this. Um, how can I build it? Because I think if you speak to any guy that labours every day, you don't want to be doing it for too many years because you're back and everything gets absolutely knackered. Um, so then I looked at like the design aspect of it and how I could maybe be in an office doing all the designs and have a team of builders out building the gardens. And, you know, it's just, it seems like a cool area to explore with loads of layers to it, other than literally just cutting people's grass or laying a patio. So yeah, at the moment, I'm not saying it's my, was my dream or is my dream, but at the moment it's massively sort of tweaked my interest, if you like. Um, and it's, it's probably the first thing I've found that I'm like, yeah, I can, I could fully see myself doing this. So at the moment I'm just trying to roll with that really. And what are the courses you're doing at the moment? So the main one I'm doing is a, it's a three year online course in garden design. So it's like a diploma in uh, garden design. So like your CAD drawings, all the history of the design, all that sort of stuff. Um, just so I don't know, maybe one day we have a Chelsea flower show. You can pop down and see Elena Naker stall. Who who knows? But I think that's where you know, if you if you want to make good money in that industry, you need to have the building side of it, the design side of it, all the plants, which is like Latin, which is a that's a whole other world. I have no idea about. Um, but yeah, it just at the moment it seems like there's a lot of lab avenues through that and and potential things I can get stuck into. Speaking of avenues and stuff, just to finish up. Um... For, for various different players. You talk about how the championship players actually tend to sort have, have tended to sort themselves out, especially more recently since it's kind of gone Monday, Tuesday, Thursday with the training. But for premiership players, you know, in your experience of being involved in a couple of clubs and obviously knowing players who play for other clubs in the premiership, do you think there's enough preparation in place to allow people to go on to future careers? And do you think players are aware enough because obviously there is an end of the road, but do you think they are thinking enough about the end of the road and the fact that actually they're going to have to come out with something qualified? Because, you know, there's only so many coaching jobs, particularly in, in rugby, um, so that they have to come out with something other than their, their knowledge and their ability in rugby. Yeah, I think so. I think obviously that's it's massively depends on the individual, but, you know, I think there's a lot more now especially at Bristol, you know, a lot of guys, like you said, with Woolley have, have XV Gin or whether it's uh, Luke Morahan and Jake Heenan with the Borough Coffee, you know, and all the cafes they've got. I think you do see a lot more boys switched on to the fact that, you know, we're not footballers, we're not on those wages. It's not something you can retire at 30, 35 and be like, sweet, I'm pretty cushy for a while. A lot of lads would be like, I retire, right, where's my next paycheck coming from? And especially in the champ, I think in a way, the champ's good in that sense where you, you're never earning those sort of high contracts that, you know, a fair amount of Prem players will be on. So, you know, you have to earn more to survive during your career, let alone afterwards. So I think that naturally leads to you having to explore what you're into. And, and like we said with Bedford, now it gives you the time to explore that. I think, you know, with what the RPA do and, you know, there's definitely stuff, I, I can only speak for Bristol, but, the guys we have sort of in the office that will set up, right, what are you guys interested in? What are you guys interested in? We've got this on this week. These guys are coming in to give a talk. You know, so there's definitely loads of avenues you can explore. And then it's just, you know, on the player, like I said, when I was sort of at Bath, I was probably too young. Everyone that was like, what are you going to do after rugby? I was like, I'm only 19, 20. Like, why are you coming at me about life after rugby? I've hopefully got 
10, 12 years ahead of me. Um, so I get that, but I think it's something as you get to like 24, 25, 26, you're starting to, you know, oh, actually this this will end. Um, um, so I've got to be ready. And I, like I said, I think it's on an individual basis, how hard lads want to push that. Um, but definitely in terms of resources available, I feel like, again, only speak from Bristol side of view, but, you know, there's plenty to get stuck into if lads do want to explore that side of things. I hate the word networking, but I'm going to use it. Do you think that side of things is actually quite strong in the championship? Because I guess you're surrounded by a bunch of players who obviously are cut from the same cloth in the rugby pursuits, but also have to potentially keep doors open or try and open new doors in a, in a way that Prem stars don't necessarily do or think about until later in their careers. Yeah, for sure. And I think, again, I don't want to put everyone under the same umbrella, but if you're a big dog in the Prem or an international or whatever, I'd imagine a lot of a lot of opportunities would come to you, whether that's, I don't know, TV or business opportunities. Could you meet, you walk into a room and everyone knows who you are, right? So everyone wants to speak to you. Um, you know, I'd imagine, not saying they don't have it, they have it easier, but that sort of probably comes to them a, a lot. Whereas you could go into the champ and no one would know who you are. So like like I said, at Bedford in the marquee, after the game, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been in there, but it's absolutely rammed full of fans, all trying to have a pint, enjoy themselves. And I think naturally, because it's a smaller environment, you get talking and every week you see similar faces and every club will have people with that have done extremely well that are involved in the club or not just come and watch. You know, I know at Bedford, there's I've, I've met a fair few guys myself that have, have been extremely successful in their businesses. And the more you see them and speak to them, obviously you are conscious of that lifestyle. I think you you probably get more, more real world experience and you like it comes back to time doesn't it you have the time to you know the champs not as not as pressurized so i can have five six beers with a guy after the game and get to know someone on a better level i could we could go play golf or whatever and you know i think you just it's hard to say like it's that it's not particularly i don't know it's like i guess yeah to answer your question yeah you do have to be more aware but i think that's probably from a you know, oh, I don't have the luxury of being on however many hundred thousand pounds. So it's more probably out of necessity that lads are curious and, you know, we we need to explore these other avenues for income rather than, okay, I've got a good, healthy pocket of money. It'll work out. It'll be all right. It's probably more, not desperation, but it's just more evident, I guess. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating little balance, actually. And I suppose that's something that the championship guys potentially share that, yeah, you're big, big, big Prem stars, and hopefully you're, you know, a season or two away from that. You never know. They can, they can't relate to. Um, so no, that's really, really interesting. We will wrap up there, guys. Ben and Nick, thank you for joining me. And Rich, yeah, good luck in the rest of the season and everything that comes with it. And of course, as we just touched upon, the landscape gardening business. Thanks, guys. I forgot Thanks, what man. it's called already. Lane yeah. and Acre. There we go. <laughs> Lane and Acre. Give me a call. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. As always, the rugby paper is available in stores on Sundays or you can get it delivered to you through our digital subscription. Next week should be a cracker of an episode as we welcome on recently signed Bath Centre, Ollie Lawrence. Mm-hmm.